victoriously on Blood on Gold Mountain. Yut Ho and Ah Choi completed their journey and arrived in Los Angeles. After an encounter with the notorious gangster Yo Hin, Ah Choi gave Yut Ho a parting gift and asked her forgiveness for leaving. Yut Ho assured him that she was ready for anything. Before long, that claim was put to the test. Yut Ho discovered that her husband Hing Sing was not the prosperous merchant he had claimed to be. Instead, she found herself plunged into a dark and dangerous world full of vice and intrigue. Each morning when he arrived at work, the first thing Li Yong did was to check the juk. It had to be the right consistency, perfectly smooth and even, with body but refreshingly light. After cooking all night over the embers in the iron stove, the juk pot was still warm. Li Yong threw on a couple of logs so that it would get hot, not boiling, not simmering, just hot enough to make thin slices of fresh-picked scallion turn an even deeper shade of green when sprinkled over each steaming bowl. Juk was an art and a philosophy for Li Yong, an alchemical process by which a handful of rice and a pot of water were transformed by the powers of heat and darkness to become a satisfying meal for the entire household. And then, of course, there was the tea. The first cup was always a special time for Li Yong, who took it alone in the kitchen before anyone else was around. Today, it was even more special than usual. A shipment of bole had just come in from Hong Kong. There were several cakes of the stuff sitting on the rough wooden counter, like a stack of fat saucers wrapped in paper. Li Yong tore one open without ceremony and broke off a piece from its edge. Each cake was made out of a thousand tiny tea leaves compressed to form a solid disk and then dried. This one was hard as a rock, but Li Yong was pretty strong. He took the broken piece, placed it in a teapot and rinsed it with a splash of scalding water. Then he reached into his pocket and withdrew a folded piece of paper. Inside were six little white flowers. They were chrysanthemums, grown during the rainy season by Li Yong himself and dried during the long, hot summer, which was finally coming to an end. He looked at them lovingly. Then he tipped them into the teapot and poured in the hot water. The air was filled with a scent like sun and raindrops, with a hint of spring. Leong closed his eyes. The lady of the house was up earlier than usual. She was sitting at the dining room table when Li Yong brought in the tea. He poured her a cup and asked her whether she would like any breakfast. The juk, he assured her, was ready. Honestly, said Yat Ho, who had not slept and had no appetite, I think I'd rather have you tell me what the hell is going on around here. Li Yong looked at her. 
She was drawn and pale, with her hair tied back in a loose ponytail instead of her customary bun. Her outfit was one he had never seen before, a travel-stained tunic of rough-spun cotton with matching trousers. She looked smaller than usual, more compact and solid. Her eyes had the aspect of coals that had smoldered through the night, dark and silent, but so hot that anything they touched was liable to burst into flame. I'll tell you what I know, said Leong. Just give me a minute. He went into the kitchen, picked up his teacup, and poured himself a bowl of jook. This was shaping up to be an unusual day, and change is best faced on a full stomach. So, said Yarho, it looks like I'm married to a pimp and I live above his brothel. Her voice was steady, almost casual, but her teacup shook slightly as she raised it to her lips. Li Yong hesitated. Yes, well, I don't know whether I'd call Hing Sing a pimp exactly. Oh no? Yatho's tone was cold and sharper than any knife in Li Yong's kitchen. What would you call him? Does living in Gold Mountain make people afraid to call things like they are? Or are you just ashamed of talking about the skin trade in front of a woman? The vehemence of her response seemed to take Li Yong by surprise. He managed to keep his expression neutral, but one of his eyebrows crept up a fraction of an inch, and Yat Ho noted it with satisfaction. It's not going to be that easy to make a fool out of this country girl, she thought. It's not really that, said Li Yong. It's more that Samyun collects the money from the girls and then pays Hing Seng a stipend for managing the house. That makes Hing Seng more of a... He looked up, as though he hoped the word he was looking for might be written on the ceiling. Yat Ho felt a stab of remorse. Perhaps he wasn't trying to make a fool of her, after all. Pimp's secretary? She offered. The two of them looked at each other. Then Li Yong started to laugh, and Yat Ho raised her teacup again to hide her smile. Sam Yuan, she said after a moment. Phoenix mentioned that name last night, and I've heard it somewhere else as well. Who is he? So you've met Phoenix. Li Yong made no attempt to conceal his expression of distaste. Well, it was bound to happen sooner or later. Sam Yuan is the leader of the Siap Company. That's one of the so-called benevolent associations in town, he added in response to Yat Ho's questioning look. Technically, Sam Yun is the proprietor of the Ninyang store, but he's got a hand in every line of business that goes on in Chinatown. He leases this house and another one over on Alameda Street that caters to Guala. I've actually heard that he owns that one, but I don't think Guala are allowed to sell property to Chinamen. Anyway, Samyun is a big figure around here, and he's dangerous. The only reason he's not totally in control of Chinatown is... Yo Hing, said Yat Ho. This time, she derived genuine pleasure from watching the astonishment spread over Li Yong's face 
How did you know? He asked. I saw him, said Yetho simply, and took another sip of tea. Then she relented and told him about her encounter with Yoheng, the unaccountable fear she had felt, and the way he had seemed to sense it, like a tiger smelling blood. Tong Wan said he was the most dangerous man in Chinatown, except for Samuel. There, I knew I'd heard that name before. She smiled triumphantly. Li Yong looked thoughtful. Tong Wan would know. He's one of the few people who are on speaking terms with both Samuel and Yao Hing. They put up with him because he's the only decent Erhu player in town, but he's got to be careful. Those two are always at each other's throats, and Tong Wan would be in trouble if either of them thought he was passing information to the other. What do you mean? asked Yat Ho. Li Yong sighed. Samyun and Yoheng used to be partners. They worked for the Ziyup company back when it was a real benevolent association. The company used to help new immigrants with food and housing, and sometimes even lend them money to start a business. The Huiguan, exclaimed Yat Ho. That was the first place my brother and I went when I arrived in San Francisco. Achoi went in to talk with the elders, and they lent us a horse and carriage, which we rode to get here. She decided not to mention how, while she was waiting, an old woman had tried to trick her into coming to work at a brothel. After hearing what Leong thought of Phoenix, Yatho was keen to distance herself from anything prostitution-related. Leong had perked up at the mention of San Francisco. For a moment, it seemed like he was about to ask a question, but something made him change his mind. Instead, he let out a low whistle. Sounds like your brother owes the Huiguan a pretty big favor, he said. There was something in his tone that Yat Ho did not like at all. I'm afraid I don't quite follow you, she replied, allowing a note of steel to creep back into her voice. Please, said Leong, there's no need to take offense. I don't know much about you but you seem like a strong, intelligent person, and I promise I mean you no disrespect. What I meant was this. The Huiguan is the San Francisco branch of the Ziyup Company, and these days, the Ziyup Company doesn't do anyone favors without expecting something in return. Yat Ho looked at him. He was very young, she realized, certainly no older than her own 19 years. His build was short and stocky, with the corded forearms and broad hands of a peasant or laborer, but his gold-brown skin was as smooth as a child's. The shadow of a smile seemed to cling to the corners of his long, dark eyes. His white cotton sleeves were rolled up to the elbow, and his lower body was concealed behind a slightly oversized gray apron. He had fine black hair, which he wore in a style Yat Ho had never seen before. Not long and wild like Ah Choi, or short and severe like a Guaylo, but somewhere in between. It flopped down over his ears and forehead in an attitude of carefree relaxation. I believe you, 
she told him with a silent lift of her lower eyelids. He smiled. So, Yohei and Sam Yuan used to be partners, she prompted. Right. They were both sort of lieutenants in the Zup company, which was led by an older man named Sing Lee. Sing Lee was a decent person and a good leader, but a couple years ago he went back to China. This place has been going downhill ever since. When Sing Lee left, he handed over control of the company to Sam Yuan. It seemed like the logical choice. Sam Yuan had seniority, and he had been managing the company's business for years. Everyone thought that with him in charge, things would continue the way they had been going before. It was common knowledge that Yo Heng was pursuing some unorthodox business ventures of his own on the side, but no one thought he would cause any trouble, least of all Sam Yuan. They couldn't have been more wrong. Yo Heng is incredibly charismatic. Rumor has it that he first came to Los Angeles to work as a servant in a Guaylo household. Now he's friends with a bunch of influential Guaylo. They praise him in their newspapers and bail him out of jail any time he gets himself into trouble. It's not just the Guaylo either. You'd be hard pressed to find anyone more popular than Yo Heng on the streets of Chinatown. He's always ready to buy a round of drinks or to back up a friend in a fight. His Guanxi is through the roof, and he's got the business sense to back it up. Some people call him crazy. He certainly takes a lot of risks, but even when things blow up in his face, Yo Heng always seems to land on his feet. Sam Yuan is another story. I'm not sure if he even understands the concept of Guanxi at all. At any rate, I've never heard of Sam Yuan buying a round of drinks. Your husband Hing Sing spent a whole year convincing him to bring back the tradition of seasonal company banquets, and even then, Sam raised the company's membership dues because he said the members eat too much. He'll spend money when he smells profit. And he can fight like a tribe of demons, but only when he feels like it, and only for himself. In Sam Yuan's world, everything is a calculated transaction, and everyone is in competition with everyone else. Of course, that means that the strongest, most merciless person is destined to rule, and of course, that person. Is Sam Yuan? Naturally, Yo Heng's approach is a lot more successful when it comes to matters of public opinion. By the time Sam Yuan realized what was going on, Yo Heng had already won over more than half of the Zup company. There was a big fight, the first of many, after which Yo Heng's faction split off and started calling themselves the Hong Chao Tong. To add insult to injury. Yo Heng went to his Guaylo friends and told them that Sam Yuan had threatened him with a whip during the fight. The police came and dragged Sam off to jail. His bail was three hundred dollars, which is about what I make in an entire year. Li Yong flushed, and a stricken expression came over his face. Clearly, he was embarrassed to have revealed the amount of his wages. 
but Yat Ho was thinking back to the old woman at the Hui Guan. Ah Cho had shouted at the woman and chased her off after she offered him a sum of $150. For what? Yat Ho had asked incredulously. For you, Ah Choi had replied. Don't be embarrassed, Leong, Yat Ho said brightly. Think of it this way. $300 is probably twice as much as, say, Phoenix would fetch on the open market. Leong shook his head. I don't like Phoenix either, he said. And I think you may be overestimating her value in the slave trade. But that doesn't make me feel any better. Being bought and sold like a side of beef. Can you imagine it? I would never wish that on anyone. His expression was sad and strangely wistful, as though he was reliving some distant memory. Yatho realized that she might have come off as callous and felt her face growing hot. It almost happened to me, she blurted out. Well, my brother wouldn't have let it happen, but there was this woman. A sudden burst of noise came from below, followed by the creak of Hing Sing's tread on the stairs. I think I should get going, said Yat Ho, who had no desire to see or speak to her husband after the events of last night. We'll have to finish this conversation later. She stood, pushed in her chair, and turned to go with her teacup still cradled in her hand. Leong watched her as she walked away, back straight, moving with a quick, sure stride. Like a soldier, he thought to himself, with all the respect due to the lady of the house in which he served. A very beautiful soldier, replied a small voice inside him, with a boldness he had never realized was there. At the end of the hall, Yat Ho turned her head and glanced over her shoulder. Leong looked away and went into the kitchen to get Hing Sing's breakfast, but not before Yat Ho caught a glimpse of his expression. It reminded her of the face that Ah Choi used to make when the two of them went to watch shadow plays in the village square. A face of curiosity, apprehension, and delight. She smiled to herself as she slipped into her bedroom and shut the door behind her. Then she looked down and swore softly in a gentle, half-joking kind of way. Her teacup was empty. The next day, Yat Ho waited until after Hing Sing had taken his breakfast. She wore her tunic again. All of the other outfits in her wardrobe felt like costumes because, she reflected, they were costumes for some kind of political theater devised by Hing Seng and Sam Yuen. She had to find out more about her role in all of this. For all she knew, her life might depend on it. Li Yong was sitting at the table, trimming bean sprouts. He did it methodically, picking up one or two of them at a time and gently snapping off the ends before depositing them and a large metal bowl. Need a hand? asked Yat Ho. Leung smiled. I don't know. Is it beneath your dignity as a landlady to trim sprouts? Landlady? Yat Ho snorted 
She pulled out a chair and sat. Didn't you say that Sam Yuan, or maybe some Guayla, owns this place? There's your landlady. I'm just the latest addition to Gold Mountain's weirdest puppet show. Leong looked up from his sprouts. What? Yutho laughed, showing her small white teeth. The other night, Hing Sing came into my room, she said. Leong looked a little embarrassed. That's when I had the pleasure of meeting Phoenix and Jade, Yutho continued. They came in smelling of opium and offered me a deal. As long as I dress up nice and make Hing Sing look like a family man at company banquets, I get to live up here and Hing Sing won't touch me. Now, Leong was politely trying not to look too interested. They offered you that? He sounded dubious. Well, we negotiated and that was the deal we arrived at, Yat Ho conceded. What I want to know is, how likely are they to respect it? There was a short silence. Then Leong gathered up half of the untrimmed sprouts in his two hands and, reaching across the table, deposited them in front of Yat Ho. She picked one up. It was cool to the touch, soft and delicate, but firm too, and bursting with life. The tail of stringy roots and bean shell head each came off with a satisfying snap, and she tossed the smooth white body into Leong's metal bowl. If Jade says that Hing Sing will leave you alone, he will, Leong told her. She's harsh, but fair. Jade does most of the work of running the brothel and has a reputation for reliability. That doesn't surprise me, said Yat Ho. All the same, she felt relieved. It seems like Hingsing is chasing the dragon in a pretty serious way. Why would a hard-nosed thug like Samuel keep someone like that around? Leong laughed. Hingsing does like his opium. He drinks a lot, too. But he's really not so bad. You're not the one who's married to him, snapped Yatho. That's true. Does he force himself on you? Yatho was taken aback. She made a noise that might, in a less confident person, be called a splutter. Well, no. What about beating? Does he beat you? Could he? Yatho thrust out her chin in defiance. Leong laughed again. Hing Seng wouldn't last ten seconds against you. I can see that plain enough. Watch out for Phoenix, though. I've seen her lose her temper, and she's got a real mean streak. Long reach, too. Jade is probably dangerous as well. Yat Ho nodded. So Hing Seng is weak, and therefore harmless. Is that what you're saying? Leong shook his head. He's weak when it comes to fights and arguments. When it comes to manipulation and giving people what they want, Hing Sing is strong. He is a pimp's secretary, Yat Ho reminded him. That got a smile. Right. As such, his guanxi is excellent. He's always at the brothel, pouring drinks and preparing herbal concoctions to make sure that all the men have a good time. Jade is in charge of keeping the girls safe, 
and Samyun keeps her supplied with goons for enforcement. So Hing Seng never has to cross anyone. He's everybody's good time pal, always making jokes and doing people favors. Little things mostly, but not always. This spring, he acted as a go-between when one of the girls took a shine to a client. They're married now and run a laundry service down by Thompson's Saloon. That kind of thing counts for a lot in a small town like this. People like Hing Seng, and that's worth a lot more than the cost of his stipend to Sam Yuan. Yut Ho thought she was beginning to get the gist of the situation. So, Sam Yuan is powerful, but unpopular, she said slowly. And he uses Hing Sing as a public face to make his organization seem more friendly. You got it, said Lee Young. He popped a bean sprout into his mouth, and Yat Ho impulsively did the same. The taste was subtle and crisp, like the smell that comes right before a thunderstorm. At least, that's how it used to work. Recently, Sam Yuan made some changes in the way he does business, and a lot of the company members are getting nervous. Maybe he thinks that bringing you in will boost Hing Sing's credibility enough to bring them back round. Is that likely? Yat Ho asked. Leung looked her in the eye. I don't know, he said. Yat Ho felt a sinking sensation in her stomach that had nothing to do with missing breakfast. What did Sam Yuan do to upset his company members, she asked. He started selling opium, replied Leong. Yat Ho sighed. Jade had told her to make Hing Seng look like a responsible husband in order to win the respect of the older and more conservative company members. However, Yat Ho knew that many of the older immigrants had lived through the horrors of the opium war when British cannons had forced unwilling Chinese merchants to invest in the drug. She was not convinced that her matronly charms would be sufficient to make them forget. Li Yong seemed to read her mind. It seems like a long shot, but you might be surprised. These Chinatown men can be a very sentimental bunch, especially when it comes to women. Most of them have wives and children back in China. The only reason they came here at all was because there aren't enough jobs back home. Now they work their hands to the bone for slave wages so that they can send home enough money to give their families a decent life. They work as many hours as they can stay awake, doing whatever jobs the Guala are unwilling or unable to do. Then they go back to a shack the size of your bedroom and sleep packed head to foot with 10 or 15 other workers. If they see you at the company banquet, looking beautiful and happy, they'll think of their own wives, and maybe that will make them think twice about making trouble for Sam Yat. After all, what would happen to their families if they were to lose their jobs, or worse? Yat Ho knew the answer. After their village was destroyed, she and her parents had survived on money that Ah Choi had sent them from Gold Mountain. 
when Achoy lost his job as a gold miner, the money stopped coming and her parents starved to death. I don't understand, she said, setting aside the terrible memories through sheer force of will. Are these the same men who drink whiskey with Hing Seng at the brothel? Some of them, replied Leong, but not all. The brothel caters to a younger crowd, mostly refugees from the Taiping Rebellion. The older men are loyal to their families, and that's Sam Yun's problem. He's invested too heavily in vice, and he knows it. But he doesn't have any choice because he's lost so much business to Yo Hing. Yat Ho's eyebrows demanded more information, so Leon continued. For a while, Yo Hing and Sam Yun each had control of about half the business in Chinatown, legitimate and otherwise. Lately, though, Yo Hing has been gaining ground. He was the one who brought opium into the picture. He sells it to the Guala medical men, who prescribe it for everything. Toothache? Opium. Melancholia? Opium. They even put it into pills and give it to women who don't obey their husbands. Yat Ho laughed. You've got to be kidding. Leong shook his head. That's actually one of their more effective treatments. It's bad. Sick Guala have started coming to Chinatown for real medical care. Anyway, Sam Yuan doesn't want Yo Hing to corner the opium market. So here we are. Yat Ho shook her head in disbelief. This place must be cursed. Perhaps it started when the Guala stole this land from its original inhabitants. Everyone here seems adrift like spiritual orphans cut off from their roots and ancestors. What a disgrace. How can it be that the whole community is held in thrall by men who deal in opium and whores? She spat out the last word as if it contained all the bitterness of her disappointment with the world and with her own impossible situation. Leong opened his mouth, then shut it with a snap. What? Are you offended now? Yatho felt a surge of annoyance. I thought you were above the influence of Phoenix and her kind. Maybe I was wrong. Leong pushed his chair back from the table and sat lowering at the bowl of sprouts. I dislike Phoenix because she's mean and vindictive, not because of what she does for work said. Being a whore is not usually something that happens by choice. It happens when somebody has no options to choose from. My... He closed his eyes tightly and opened them again and looked right at Yaho. My mother was a whore in San Francisco Chinatown. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more... Tell us in a review and become one of our community backers at www.bloodongoldmountain.com support. Remember to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and reach out with thoughts and questions on Instagram and Facebook at Blood on Gold Mountain. Episode 6, Beasts of Prey, will be released on Wednesday, June 2nd. 
Blood on Gold Mountain is brought to you by the Holmes Performing Arts Fund of the Claremont Colleges, the Pacific Basin Institute of Pomona College, the Public Events Office at Scripps College, the Scripps College Music Department, the Entrepreneurial Musicianship Department at the New England Conservatory, and our Patreon patrons. It is hosted by Hao Huang, Michael Huang, and Emma Guys, featuring original music by Michael Huang and the Flower Pistols. A special thanks to Kusuma Tre Sapucho for the amazing artwork, Sheila Colosser for her critical PR guidance, Rochelle Huang for her editing prowess, and Ivo Terra from Simpler Media Productions for his immense expertise and support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.